Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast. This is Nat Newell, Pacers editor for Indy Star. Here, of course, with Dustin Dopirak, our Pacers insider. Uh, we are talking three hours after the hugely disappointing NBA draft lottery. Yes, the Pacers got the pick they were supposed to. Actually, they got a better pick than they were supposed to get. They should have gotten the eighth or ninth pick. They got the seventh pick. They had the seventh worst record um, in the league last year. I don't care. All I wanted was Victor Wembanyama because that would make uh, my job much easier. Probably makes your job a lot harder. So on the balance, it all washes out. But uh, it would have been a lot more fun. Uh, so it would it would have made your job harder also, but it would have made it it would have made it entertaining, and we would have made some moved some numbers on this here site. We would yeah, have some, yeah, it is always that's the thing I always try to explain to people is like when there's a lot of stuff going on, you're really it's you're really busy, you got a lot going on, and when there's nothing going on, it's almost harder because you have nothing going on, and you still have to they still want you to put stories out. So when you get Victor mm-hmm. Wembanyama, you have no. Uh, shortage of stories so None. yeah I, I prefer i prefer that to to this but hey who knows maybe he'll be like most of the seven four guys in nba history and only have like four transcendental years before he gets hurt so take that <laughs> san antonio um what was your initial reaction we'll to, to the seventh pick yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, as, as you know, basically when you, we interviewed uh, Tyrese and we interviewed Kevin Pritchard at length and they both did say, I mean, you know, shoot, at least uh, he didn't fall back. Uh, and, and that's obviously an important piece there is that you always have the opportunity to the possibility of, of falling backwards if, if the teams behind you um, move up into that top four. You know, if, if they're chosen by the lottery, if somebody like, uh, you know, Dallas or Chicago or New Orleans or, you know, uh, Oklahoma City uh, had managed to jump them even with a better record, uh, then, you know, that that. that that's things is that you're moving you're you've not only find yourself you find yourself in a worse position you were when you got there and i don't think they're in a bad spot i mean it, at the end of the day the reason they're picking seventh and not you know first the reason they didn't have more you know lottery ball combinations if you will um is because they won some games you know and and they could have been um you know if everything broke right if tyrese halliburton doesn't get hurt you know they could have at least been a play-in team this season so that tells you is that not that far away obviously you know uh, uh you want a transformational player i think that's um you know kevin pritchard talked to us at length and said you know he was not uh i i don't know if it's his own rule or if there's an nba rule or whatever but he wasn't allowed to use names or at least he viewed it that way but he said um you know i can't talk about who this guy is but i think the number one pick might never play in front of a gym that an arena that isn't sold out for the rest of his life. Um, and that's obviously a really, really high bar to set. Um, but that's how big of a, of, of, you know, how much she sees him is, is at a different level. Um, but I think once, you know, you kind of get past that, you didn't get that great lottery tickets. Okay. Seven's not a bad place to be. You're in a good shape, good position as a franchise. And I mean, shoot, let's not forget, you know, I mean, like, like the Pacers got Mather in at six last year. Prior to that, the last time they had a single-digit draft pick, like like lower than 10, was 
George McLeod in 1989. So, like, this is still, you know, the second highest they've picked in the draft since 1989. One tells you that they've been a winning franchise for most of that period. Um, and two, this is still helpful. I mean, you, you can get a really hopeful player. They got Matherin at six. I mean, he's, you know, I think uh, definitely changed, the, you know, in, you know, dramatically, not dramatically, but, you know, fun, like substantial, substantially uh, improved the direction of the franchise. Um, and so you can get somebody who substantially improves you, your, your direction at seven. And, and he doesn't need to be your centerpiece. You already have one. Um, you know, this this player needs to have a high ceiling, needs to be able to perform, needs to be a guy that you can depend on, needs to be a starter quality player for an extended amount of time. So you can't miss this. Um, but, you know, you can get really, really good players uh, at seven that will matter for your franchise for a very long time. So they're not in a bad place. Um, again, it, it stings. I think uh, as is written in my story is probably all over Twitter by now. You know, the Pacers did get, you know, you, you get four, you get a whole list of, you know, ball combinations, number combinations. Um, and so it's kind of like a scratch off or kind of like kind of like the state lottery. And so like the Pacers had the first three numbers on the first pick and didn't get the fourth one. And that's the difference. So they were close and Pritchard had a moment where he thought maybe you're about to get this guy and they don't. And I think that makes for a more disappointing scenario when at least perceptively you you kind of come that close, you know, in, in your perception as, as the guy who's in that room as Pritchard was. Um, but you know, ultimately they're not in a bad spot. And, and, and it also helps that they got the number two, 32 pick with the Spurs winning the lottery. Um, that led, leads to them getting that kind of conditional pick at number 32. So they got seven, 26, 29, 32 and 55. Um, and they're not going to use all those picks, but they've got a lot of assets and a lot of ways to build uh, on what's not a uh, build a roster and add to a roster that's not in bad shape to start with. Um, yeah, I, I won't mention here that they, if they had one, uh, if they were one ball away and they only had one option, they had a 7.1% chance of winning the lottery, which was exactly, basically the same chance they had at the start. So Yeah, 0.3% better chance. You, you, you'd moved up by 0.3% in the span of those first three balls coming out. Now you weren't eliminated. I'm, I'm ruining the fun, I know. Um, yeah, so it is but now the one thing, I, I will spin this a little more positively. Obviously, Wembenyana is going to be the number one pick. Uh, Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson are widely considered to go two, three. Um, you mostly see uh, as uh, Amen, Amen, Thompson mentioned. Amen and Osler. Yeah, the twins, number, the Thompson twins. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's the, uh, but he's the, the point guard or the guard seems like the higher ranking guy. And then you get Jarris Walker, you get Asar. I'm probably not pronouncing his name correctly. I apologize. Thompson. Um, and Cam Whitmore are the next, probably the next three picks. I mean, obviously you can throw some other names in there. Anyway, my point being what the Pacers need is a power forward. And mm-hmm. there's probably, uh, Thompson is, I guess, is more of a small forward than a power forward, but he's a bigger guy. There's mm-hmm. probably three guys in a row there that they're going to get one of them. And it's going to be uh, pretty much what they need. Obviously, you would rather have a higher ranked guy. But it seems like they're they if they've been any lower they're they're at risk of not getting one of those top three sort of wing power forward type guys. 
Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's that if, if if you fall back to eight or you fall back to nine, you're in a little bit of shakier scenario. I mean, I really like Walker for them. Um, I think uh, Kevin Pritchard did, did, I think, sort of temper my thoughts there by saying, hey, you know, um, if you draft a guy for defense and you expect him to make an impact for you defensively your first year, uh, that's tough because they've got to learn, you know, how the game goes, how they're going to get officiated. The officials have to learn them. Um, and so it's really hard to make an impact defensively uh, as a rookie, especially, you know, Walker's a guy who's 19 you know just played one year uh at houston um it, again is, is widely renowned as being a really good defensive player a guy that can handle several positions and that's really what they need is uh sort of big muscular defensive guys that can guard multiple positions uh between two and four uh is, is really the most important thing uh that they need to be able to get out there and 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 have guys who can still functionally um have the skill to play what the power power forward now requires i mean you you don't want to be throwing a five out there uh and making them be a four um, so they need a real, you know, player like that. And Walker seems to fit that bill, but he's also would be 19 and there would be a lot of like a, a learning curve. Um, and you're still seeing even guys like Neesmith, who's been around for a little while and, and defending these better guys is having a, a, a heck of a time figuring out how to keep his hands in and not get called for fouls on some of these guys. And, and you know, when you're defending top players, uh, it, it is a tight margin for error because they're giving those stars those calls. Um, so that's sort of tempered my thoughts on how sold the Pacers ought to be on him. Um, but I still think he's a good fit. Uh, I think, still think he's a good fit. And I think there's a good chance he's around at seven. Um, I, I think that's possible. Um, you know, I think they they could be tempted into a higher ceiling guy, but I mean, I can't see them going after, even though Grady Dick is shooting the hell out of it out here. Uh, I don't think they go after somebody like him just to, just to be a really a, a more of a stretch guy. I think they just got to get somebody that can defend and rebound uh, at that position. Um, that doesn't mean they could take somebody who can't score, but I think they need to get somebody who can who who they can at least project uh as a good defender and rebounder at that spot because re rebounding is also a problem uh is another area that they really need to get better at they were 30th in defensive rebounding percentage this year and that's a rough place to be um so i think those are some spots but there there just seem to be a lot of guys who fit what they need positionally that ought to be around uh at that spot that surprised me and from pritchard talking obviously he's not we don't know that he's specifically talking about walker but how else are you going to get better on defense unless you mm -hmm. take guys who um have the ability to play defense especially with rick carlisle as your coach um sure. it's possible kevin pritchard knows a little bit more about building a basketball team than i do but uh i mean and they don't need i mean again I, I, it's really hard to play in the nba these days if you can't shoot score contribute on offense um, so if, if someone's a, you know, if you don't think someone has the, any kind you know, if there, there's a long way to go on the offensive side of things, I would understand not wanting to take them, but, but mm -hmm. you know, they got, they got shooters, they got offense, they need defense and they need rebounding. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the one thing that Kevin said was that, that what they also have to do is is sort of set higher bars for accountability for defense. Um, and he said they, he actually went out to dinner with Halliburton, uh, Matherin and Nemhard recently. They, they had kind of a, uh, kind of a mini camp. I'm in a camp that was not open to the media, but we um, it was covering the fever uh, the last week or so. And, and so saw those guys uh, hanging around 
the facility or at least leaving the facility uh, a little bit and saw some pictures on social media of them doing some stuff. And so with a lot of those guys being around, uh, you know, Pritchard went to dinner with several of them and that was the discussion is how do they sort of increase the level of defensive accountability. And it is sort of a scenario of saying, you know, some of these guys, Ben Matherin in particular, Halliburton in particular, those are those are two of the bigger guys who need to do this, um, have to be able to hold themselves accountable and, and, uh, and it's so that they can defend well enough to hold others accountable uh, defensively for Halliburton. That means, you know, adding some muscle. He said he, I just, he just felt like he was getting uh, just pushed around uh, on the defensive end. And, you know, we talked to him today and he said he's already heavier than he's ever been. He's up to about 193 and he's he's lifting more than he's ever lifted in his life. Um, so that's uh, seems to be a positive scenario. He did look like he was, you know, a little bit thicker than you're used to seeing Tyrese being. So, you know, he's, so he's making an impact there. Um, but obviously, I mean, Matherin becoming a good defender is really, really important. It's really important. It's critical. He's got the physical, uh, you know, the build to be a good defender. Um, he's got the muscle. He's got the length. He's got the athleticism. Uh, he didn't know what he was doing out there this year. He just didn't. Um, and so, I mean, he wants to be a good two-way player. He keeps saying it, you know, thinks about being Kobe or Jordan or somebody like that and believes, you know, that that it's, it is it is what's required of him. Um, and so you have to presume that the, the work ethic will be there. Um, but there's a long way to go. Um, but, but those guys, they have, if, if, if those guys are going to play, you know, that are going to be sort of key cornerstone pieces to this team, uh, they got to be able to play really good defense. And, and if they're going to be out there anyway, they got to get to be better defenders. So, I mean, the way Pritchard put it said, he, he says, it's first about mindset of what you have here. Uh, but, and then it's about, you know, accumulating players that already have a, a, a good defensive pedigree. So there's, there's kind of an interplay, um, there. And, and, and that seems to make sense to me, you know, as, as far as just you, you but I think he is aware that you have to add pieces and he, he didn't blow off the idea uh, of saying that defense is going to be part of the equation. Um, you know, he's he basically, it just sounds like they're not going to go anybody, go get anybody who can't guard. That doesn't mean that, um, they're going to get guys who are, you know, can't shoot it, can't handle it. You know, like you said, can't pass it, you know, can't do anything for you on offense. Um, they're like that guy's going to have to do all those things too. Um, they're, they're not going to get a guy who's just a defensive player. Um, but they're not going to get anybody who's just an offensive player either. They have enough of those. Yeah. I guess the other player mentioned, he mentioned, uh, wing than a power forward, but, uh, he's an option. Taylor Hendricks is another guy you mentioned in your story tonight. Um, mm-hmm. Central Florida power forward. Of course, all these guys are 19, so I'm not sure how yeah. many is going to be 19 or 20, so they're all going to be young. But Hendricks would be another interesting one. Uh, he's probably the, the 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 next one down in terms of who the, the Pacers could look at. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it sounds uh i i'm just another lean uh guy but he plays defense and uh you know just uh what, what are your thoughts on Hendricks as well yeah yeah i mean i I didn't obviously didn't watch him a lot didn't spend a lot of time this year watching central, central florida games but i just got to see a little bit of uh uh you know film and whatnot i mean the you know like it, it does seem like he's got defensive versatility but you know his defensive numbers what stands out the most is the shot blocking and that's not necessarily the biggest priority uh, because you already have uh, Miles Turner, who's blocking shots, and Isaiah Jackson, who's blocking shots, and Jalen Smith, who's blocking at least some shots, not as many. He's not, he, he, although Jalen Smith is rebounding better uh, than 
any of those guys is from on a per 36 basis. Um, so you, you already got some guys that can protect the rim. You need more guys who are uh, versatile defensively and, and who can who can be in a screen and roll and get down and defend a point guard when you have to or, or switch two to three or three to four uh, or stuff like that and be able to defend the perimeter. But it does seem like he has that. It's not like he's not a good defensive player and he can really shoot it uh, for a guy his size as well. But he's got that more Isaiah Jackson build than he has, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a thicker power forward type build. Um, but I think he's still worth looking into it. Again, it seems like he really cares about defense, gets side to side, uh, you know, pretty well. It seems like he's a pretty good pick and roll guy from what I can tell. I mean, I haven't broken down that much yet. Um, but uh, he's definitely a guy to for, that's worth it for them to look at, um, if it, particularly if Walker's off the board uh, by the time they pick. So it's certainly somebody that they're going to have to know about and have studied um, and, and have really gotten the sense of before, um, you know, before they make their pick. Uh, you mentioned the 32nd pick. Um, second round picks are, are hugely valuable. Yeah, I mean, more than ever. I mean, heck, how many <laughs> trade deadline people were trading five and six of them for, for yes. other players? Um, I just, I mean, obviously they, they got the pick because uh, San Antonio finished ahead of Houston. And when you have ties in the standings, I believe you flip whoever the order in the second round. Thus, yeah. it ended up being the 32nd pick instead of the 33rd pick. So uh, Indiana gets it. Um, obviously, the 32nd pick is two picks away from the first round. Uh, just talk a little bit more about why um, that was a valuable, you know, why that was so important. Because, uh, I mean, it would have been 48th or something like that. Um, yeah. If 49th, something like that, if they had not gotten. It hadn't been 32nd. I mean, there was a big drop if they didn't get it there. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it matters on a bunch of levels. I mean, I think you, you tend to see a pretty significant drop off after maybe the first 10 picks uh, generally of of the second round. Uh, you know, it, that that's when you start taking guys just to stash them. Uh, more or less, you know, you know, just to throw them on the G League. You, you don't you don't expect to get them on there. Um, but those. Top 10 or so can can frequently be guys that can make an impact. And, you know, obviously you saw last year, I think Nemhard was 31st uh, and he made an immediate impact, uh, you know, basically being able to start being one of their best uh, two perimeter defenders, you know, winning some games for them. Um, you know, obviously he had did not have the best stretch when Tyrese, you know, was out for 10 games. But, you know, when, when Halliburton was hurt again, uh, you saw him make some major strides. Obviously, the, the first time he had the minor injury, the, the groin thing, uh, you know, came out and was just household everybody with the win over golden state with 31 and 13 in that game um so you you see that you can still get a a real important player at 32 and so it matters on a couple different levels for one thing you know that your second round pick that can be a two-way guy and now they're allowed to have three two-way guys so there's more roster space for guys like that that they can have some opportunity to develop uh at the g league level and if you're picking at 32nd you're probably going to get one of the better guys that you can you know, that you can stash in that position. Um, but also it's just, again, it's valuable for, for a trade commodity. Um, and there's, you know, they're, they're going to have 26, 29, 32. Like there's a lot of players in that range. They can choice that they can pick and not take all of them. And so, I mean, if, if they, um, have somebody they really like in that, in that period, they can trade 26 and 29 and still get the guy at 32, you know, or they can package 39 and 20, you know, 32 and 29 together and get the guy they want at 26. Um, I, I think they'll take at least some, somebody. I think they'll, you know, end up keeping somebody between that 26 and 32 range where they have three options. You know, they have three spots to hit on that and then they can move the other two if they want to. 
Uh, and so I think that's important. Or if they move all three, I mean, they have a chance to get a really valuable player, potentially somebody who's already in the league for them or or even move up or whatever. I mean, I think there's there's just a lot of flexibility they have. I think Pritchard looks at this whole scenario and says, man, I can do stuff with this. You know, there's there's a lot of moves I can make. And and he has said repeatedly, um, his, you know, I asked him today, what is your optimal number of rookies? And he wasn't willing to answer that question, but he did just go so far as to say we're not bringing in five. You know, that that's, I think, you know, maybe two, maybe three. I mean, I, I think you can safely say that they won't bring in four or five, you know, but it, it's, you know, three is is, I think, the cap on how many rookies they'll bring in uh, that, that will actually actually join the team. And three would be a lot, you know, three would be a lot for this group um, with, with with what's already there. And the fact they only have three, three free agents that they could even lose. And I think they'll bring back George Hill, honestly. Um but, uh, you know, I think they'll lose O'Shea Brissett. I think they'll lose James Johnson. I would just say it's just going to be really hard to keep them with the numbers. I just don't see it. Um, but I think they want to have one, you know, like old goat veteran. And I think George Hill is that guy because he's local. And I think I mean, he also still looks like he can play all day. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, I, you know, I would be surprised if they bring in more than two rookies on this team. But they, this just having those three together that just gives you a lot of a, a lot of ability to get a player if you want them and also move those assets for something else. Yeah, I, I'm well, I, it's interesting to me. I believe all three they got they got three picks the um, from Cleveland for uh, Lavert all in this draft, including the two second rounders. So it's just interesting uh, yeah. how these uh, picks move around. But um, in terms of I, I, clearly they don't need five rookies. Um, I kind of wonder how, what they're going to do with the picks because mm-hmm. at first glance, uh, I, I mean, there's three places, you know, there's not as a tier of own us. And then, uh, um, Anderson and, uh, um, next level. Uh, and then Houston, Detroit, Orlando, the last thing any of those teams need is probably more draft picks. So I yeah. don't know. That, I mean, it doesn't seem like trading up is realistic. And Except, let me throw this one at you. Um, the one team that clearly could use help now is Portland. I mean, you got Dame Lillard. Um, so I'm thinking, I mean, could you, would you, well, first of all, do you want to move up to three where you have to deal with uh, the stuff going on around uh, Brandon Miller? But would you do the center? That hits them. Matt, you're not coming through. I I, I need run, run back, run that one back for me. You're cutting out a little bit. I want to make sure I got your question right here. Um, Oh yeah, I couldn't hear you on that. I okay. So let let me make sure. uh, This is what I think you got here. Is is trading up from from just what I heard is it's just trading up to three, to trading up to three to potentially draft Miller and giving up the seven. And what else would you have to give up? Miles Turner. Ooh. Okay. All right. So I didn't hear that at all. You also have to take back Yusuf Nurkic, I bet, mm. and get his con because you got to take his contract off of their hands. I wouldn't do it for the chemistry issue. Um, I I just don't see. 
I think they like Turner too much. I think Pritchard likes Turner too much. Um, I think he fits in too well. I don't. I, I just struggle with a scenario where you're bringing in Brandon Miller and you are becoming just even younger. You don't have anybody who's like sort of who who has some veteran um, who who has some time served and is still young enough. Um, I, I think they they signed Turner for two more years for a reason. Um, you know, I, I think and I while I like Nurkic. I, I just the fact that he is just a bone crushing dude. Like, I mean, like he sets screens and it's like, you're, you're lucky you walk away. I don't know how anybody walks away from a screen with that guy. I don't, you just get swallowed up. Um, and he, he has a lot of skill and he, he's, he's a useful player. So I don't want to downgrade the, the fact that, you know, you're, you're not in a horrible place if you get Yusuf Nurkic and move him in. Um, I think they want to really see what Turner's capable of. Um, you know, now that he's playing the position that he likes, um, now that he's working with a point guard who fits him and wants to get them in the ball, um, I think they're too locked into seeing what that is. Um, and so I don't, I, I I don't see that as a good enough player to move just to move up four spots in the draft. You know, to get well, Miller. I think they I think they like Miller. Don't get me wrong. And I, I think there was a reason why Pritchard said I think there's two guys uh after Wembenyama. I mean obviously I was reading tea leaves there. I don't think he was talking about one of the Thompson twins. I just you know. Um so maybe I'll be proven wrong someday, but it, it certainly seemed like he says I think there's a couple guys. I think he means specifically Scoot and Miller. And obviously your presumption and hope is that Charlotte takes Scoot at, in, in that case you you're hoping Charlotte takes Scoot Henderson at number two. Um obviously you could it, it'd be weird to make that move, give up Turner and then bring in Scoot and really that puts yourself puts you in a very similar situation to what Sacramento was in, where you have uh, Halliburton with another league guard and without a, a real playmaking center. And so all of a sudden you're basically the Kings with Fox and Halliburton. You know, that's the situation that you've created. And I don't know that's a better situation. And there was a report tonight, uh, I believe uh, Hoops Weiss uh, was reporting that the, the Hornets will take Miller. Um, wow. I, you okay. know, the other question here is, is, what are the odds Miller's a better player than Turner? I mean, they're yeah. uh, he's a more he's more versatile. I don't mm. th- uh, he's not the shot blocker that Turner is. So I mean, yeah. uh, there's certainly a world where Turner's a better player than him. Um, yeah. I think you have to take Scoot Henderson if he's there at three because uh, of. But yeah, I mean, you know, and we've talked about this before. Um, I mean, Halliburton's a pure one, and Henderson maybe you can play Henderson at one at the two. But I don't know mm-hmm. who's playing defense in that backcourt either. But, no, but I, mean, I just think yeah. I'd be real curious to see how they plan to 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 shed some of these draft picks. Of course, my trade's not shedding draft picks really either. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, but because uh, I just don't know who uh, moving up isn't a realistic possibility. So are you trading picks for players later on? I, I'll just be curious to see what they think they can do um, with the picks they have. Yeah, no, I mean, I think they're, I, I think they would be, look, they would definitely look into trading picks for players. I think that's for sure. Um, and, and I don't know, I mean, do you, yeah, I'm new to the beat. Do you have to like, you know, uh, can you do that or do you, do you have to pick the guy first when you're, when you're doing that and then make the trade at the, um, at when, when the league flips over, when the, technically when, you're making the pick and then, but the trades agreed to beforehand and everybody right. knows that. And the only people pretending that the trade hasn't been made is the NBA. Right. Okay. Okay. Just making sure I understood that. That's what I thought. Um, no, I mean, I think I, I think they do want to make picks for players. I think they do. 
I think they absolutely want to get uh, some established guys um, and package picks together to get players. Yes, I think that's something that Kevin Pritchard is absolutely looking at because um, but I do think I do think there's a scenario where they could package multiple late rounders for one pick between seven and twenty six. I think that's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Somewhere there might be somewhere in the 15 range where they really like somebody and they're willing to give up, you know, all three of those to go up to 15 or 16, you know, and, and I don't know who that would be uh, that no, no one jumps off. Um, and I don't think they even know I, I, if they're thinking about that. They haven't really um, I did not get the impression that that's an answer that Kevin Pritchard would know right now, um, but I would not put that past them. Yeah, I, I don't I think it would be very, very hard for them to move up from seven, but I think they could move up into, you know, use those picks to move up into that range to pick a second guy. Yeah, I mean, like 17, Miami at 18, those are both teams that could use bodies mm-hmm. around their superstars, thing, things like that. Right. So, yeah. so there are some mm-hmm. definitely possibilities there. But all right, well, it's it's late, so let's wrap up on something a little different, which is uh, who were you rooting for someone to get the first overall pick? Where you're rooting, I tend to root against people because I'm, uh, I'm. Uh, that's just the way I am. Where were you? Did you have any opinion whatsoever? If it wasn't the Pacers, um, what you, who you wanted to see get the pick? Not really. I felt bad for Detroit. I guess I'm not supposed to. But. No, you're not because they sat Cunningham all year where they probably didn't need to. So no, they Fair. don't. They don't deserve any sympathy. They they got what Fair. they deserve. Fair, but I mean, I, I, I you know. In my dealings with Jaden Ivey, I found him to be a very likable young man. So I'd like to see him be successful uh, and and be in a successful scenario. And I would think playing with Victor Wimbanyama would be a successful situation for him. Um, and um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I mean it's going to be very interesting. We, we we were having this, you know, among you know some of the other beat writers, Tony East and Scotty Agnes were out here. And so we, we talked about that a little bit um, about you know, will it, it, when when Pritchard said, you know, that that he thinks that he will never play in front of an empty seat, uh, that 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 every game he will ever play and will be sold out. Uh, it was like, okay, San Antonio though, um, and 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 I and we say that obviously because, you know, I I'm sure it's a team that really really cares when that team is good, but you know, it's it's it it, it has sort of lost that a little bit, and it's a weird place to go right now. Um, if if you if you went to go see a Spurs game right now, it feels very dead. Um, and it's there's an addition to that by the fact that um, if, you know, the way it's, it's set up in the city, it's really weird. I mean, San Antonio as a city is gorgeous. You know, the whole Riverwalk thing um, was was cooler than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and I saw so I, I took some time when the Pacers were out there to really check that out. But, man, you really got to, you, you, you know, I was in an Uber for a while getting out to where the arena is and there's nothing by the arena. I mean, it, you, you go through the sticks to get from the city to the arena. Um, and it's, it's an interesting spot. So, you know, I, I wonder what kind of draw it's going to be. I mean, but on the flip side, you think, okay, you put that guy with Popovic one titles with Robinson and Turner and, and, uh, Tim Duncan. So, um, you know, why not? Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's not the worst place for him to be, you know, that adds some power in the West, you know, just, you know, gives a franchise that has been really good over the last 25 years, uh, you know, kind of possibly gets them back into it, you know, from a, is it going to be enough of a spectacle? I don't know. Um, but there's something there's, it, it, it sort of fits the Popovic gets a European player, 
you know, uh, with, you know, he's had Tony Parker from France and whatnot. It sort of fits um, that scenario. I wasn't sitting there rooting for anybody. And it moves so fast, too, is the other thing. Like, you know, like we, when you're sitting there, it's like, OK, they, they, they rip those those names off really, really quick. And you're like, OK, wait, who's still on the board here? Um, and so I, I wasn't openly rooting for anybody. And, you know, I don't know that out of out of the top four that I thought it was going to be, um, you know, uh, Detroit. Uh, Charlotte, you know, Houston or San Antonio, I didn't have any favorites. Somebody mentioned Portland and, and I did start to think about that and think, you know what, that'd have been good. Cause I, I don't like seeing Damian Lillard just sit there and suffer, you know, like that's an exciting player and it's to not have him in the playoffs. Like he is just a fun dude who hits threes at big times and hits big shots. And like, we've gotten a lot of good, um, you know, postseason moments out of watching that guy. And it would be nice to see him paired with a player that could that could get him you know a title and uh in retrospect that would have been one that i would have liked to have seen i would have liked to see those guys, those two guys together okay everything you said was wrong um first off let's <laughs> aliens is the last superstar player clearly what's that last three years effectively or last four years they had one win difference between uh 2021 and 2019 getting worse every year Totally unstable franchise, clearly. Worst place for a, a promising player to go. On top of the fact that, of course, they've gotten David Robinson and Tim Duncan and in no way, shape, or form deserve to get Victor Wembenyana. Um, <laughs> Portland tanked worse than anyone else in the league the last two years. You don't deserve it. They sat Lillard when they didn't need to. Uh, everything you said, of course, about him playing with Wembenyana would be fun, and, and you're right about that. But 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 no, they don't deserve it either. Houston nobody deserves it. <laughs> Houston stunk forever. Uh, we already went over Detroit, Orlando. You know, I mean, I, I okay, except they got the number one pick last year. So I'm left with two choices other than the Pacers, Washington and Charlotte. Both are like woe have been woeful NBA uh, franchises and situations forever. So it's mm. nice to see what is it be see Wembenyana at either one of those. So those are really the only two picks, and uh, most of those teams didn't come close to deserving it. Again, I'm only for, I only say the Pacers deserve it for selfish reasons, of course. Yes. But mm. I mean they they were in sixth place in the East and trying when Halliburton got hurt. So I think they have they got a little bit of moral high ground there too. But uh, a touch, but, yeah. Yeah, there, only so much. I mean, I think that there were there have been a lot of folks who have been getting out like the, the Pacers didn't tank. Eh, no, they tanked a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, they, they tanked and they should. They should have. I've talked about it before. Tanking doesn't work except when there's a transcendent, transcendent player available. And then you mm. should definitely tank. But all right. right. Well, it's getting late. Uh, this is 1130 at night on Tuesday. Um but uh, we will have plenty more. Dustin is in Chicago right now. He'll be at the Combine. He'll be uh, seeking out some of these players that we've been talking about, and we'll have more on them. He will also and also you uh, Purdue guys. Uh, with the local players as well. So keep coming mm-hmm. to IndyStar.com, uh, and thank you for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast 
set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.